All right, everybody, welcome to B.O. Boys for Monday, March 7th. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Clayton, we got to get right to it. This is the biggest box office weekend we've had in a long time. And we had to come up with a, a an episode that would match the size of the Batman's opening weekend. And you know what? The BBO, the BO boys always pull it off, and we pulled it off because our special guest today is from Forbes, the legend himself, Scott Mendelson. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Oh, of course. We we teased this last week, you know, much much like these movies tease out who's going to be the next villain, who's going to be the 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 big value add in the in the next uh, movie. And we teased it, and the fans, they're getting their money's worth with, with you, Scott. So thanks for joining us. So um, what I'm going to do real quick so we can get into it, I'm going to do a really quick mm-hmm. plow, the top five. Not going to go 10 at this point. Uh, I think this is a fiver. So <laughs> really quickly, number one. $600,000. <laughs> exactly right. Oh, man, when it was the pandemic times, that's what we were doing. We were That was like the number two movie. Now, number one, The Batman, $134 million. Number two, Uncharted, $11.1 million, only down 52%. It lost 40 theater, 400 theaters, I'm sorry. It is at $100 million in its third frame. Number three, Dog made $6.1 million, down only 40%, lost 320 theaters. It's at $40 million, also in its third frame. Number four, Spider-Man No Way Home, $4.5 million, down 22%. It lost 293 theaters. It's at $786.6 million in its 12th weekend. And rounding out the top five, we've got Death on the Nile, $2.7 million, down 39%, lost 855 theaters. It is standing at $37.1 million in its fourth weekend, and that is your top five. Great plow, Clayton. So, Scott, going to go to you with the, the first big question. Batman, the Batman, $134 million opening weekend. So what is your big overall take on that? And specifically, what could we glean from how the numbers progressed over the weekend? You know, because there was there was a lot of back and forth this weekend. At one point, it looked like it'd be low 120s. Then, oh, it's going to be 128. And now here we are, the final number is 134. So what does this opening weekend progression tell you about Maybe how people uh, enjoyed or didn't enjoy this movie and how that uh, maybe uh, predicts future success here. What is it? What does this weekend tell us? Well, obviously, the high number of sellouts over the weekend for people trying to get into Sing 2 and Death of the Nile led to much greater and greater interest. I'm kidding. No. Um, <laughs> the film opened to 56 and change over Friday, including 21.6 million in Thursday screenings. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday previews. Um, and honestly, you know, those numbers, that was very good. But I'm thinking, okay, you did like 38% of your Friday number on just Thursday. Mm-hmm. That's high. You know, that's that's Batman v Superman high. That's, you know, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly, well, not quite Harry Potter's and the Deathly Hollows high, but, you know. So I thought, okay, we might have, you know, an opening weekend between 
2.2 and maybe 2.25 for you know 115 to 130 million that would be that would be fine that would you know that's that's you know i i found myself you know constantly going that you know this to people that thought i was going to do you know 170 or two you know spider-man no way home numbers and i'd like no this is not the dark knight this is not batman v superman we'll go over that later i was a i was a 170 predictor at the end of the last episode of course the bo boys are never wrong we're just right in different ways so we'll get to that but but yeah so you're saying you you were caught you were trying to create a plausible yes. yes And unfortunately, in the crazy fandom world that exists, me saying, you know, it might only make 130 million translates. Oh, Mendelssohn thinks it's going to bomb. I mean, you're, you're always taking heat online, but you, you got to speak. You got to yeah, I'm the hero the they power. need, not the what they or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, but, you live long enough to become the villain, whatever. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely <laughs> what's happened to me. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, jokes aside, the film actually rallied over the weekend it did a 44 million on saturday which is only i think it was like 24 it was like 24 percent higher than the 35 million raw friday total and now it's new sunday totals i think like i don't have it right in front of me it's like 32 or 28 or something like that mm-hmm. it's a nominal drop from saturday it's like 27 percent, which is on par with captain marvel logan joker you know films that had relatively healthy post-debut legs um I frankly spelled bullshit in Sunday morning when they said the number was only 125 million. You know, as often happens with these kind of debuts, the studio undershoots on Sunday so they can get an extra day of good news. And they say, we were wrong. It's even better than we thought. It actually did 134 million. That's not a criticism. If I were in their shoes, I'd do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just a pain in the ass for me. But it's like, ah, I know it's higher. I yeah. should just keep this up, but I can't because that's not how this works. Um, but no, it's 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 a two three five two point three five weekend multiplier, which is right alongside the Dark Knight, uh, and it's a better multiplier than Man of Steel, which is at one hundred and twenty eight from a fifty six million dollar opening day. It's certainly better than something like Batman v Superman, which did double the opening day. Um, a minus from Cinema Score, four point five out of five from Rentrack. Uh, 85% fresh, 7.7 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. And there's nothing else in the marketplace. So I don't see any reason in a normal scenario why the film shouldn't leg out well past $300 million domestic. Uh, the only caveat is Jason Killer of AT&T has been very vocal about, don't worry, shareholders, this will be on HBO Max in 45 days. And if people really you know, know that, they make a quantitative informed decision to either not see it in a theater or not see it twice in a theater that might have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is that, is that officially out there? Cause I, I actually have been seeing people online starting to, to count the days down, but, but is there an official HBO drop date? And do you think they will actually put it on there so soon? I mean, if this movie is, is legging out, maybe not, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home level, but it's legging out a month from now. Are they really going to put on HBO Max in the, in the middle of April? I don't know because Sony was in a different position with Spider-Man. They don't have a first-party streaming service they have to juice. All due respect to Crackle. Um, uh, always you know, they, all due respect to Crackle. <laughs> and we, every week we give our respect to Crackle. <laughs> it's in the show notes. 
Yes, exactly. Um, you know, they have a first window ATV deal with Netflix, which was very smart on both of their points. You know, but with Sony, it was a matter of, you know, why fight the war when you can get rich selling the guns? Um, they may way, may win the streaming war by default by being the arms dealers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they don't have a streaming service that needs to get juiced constantly for the shareholders. Right, so, right. unfortunately, in this environment, even as Wall Street is starting to show itself relatively inconsistent in terms of, you know, we want you to do what Netflix does. Oh, but not you, Paramount. Right. Um, I, I do think there may be, in, you know, a presumed incentive for Warner Brothers to throw it on HBO Max on day 46 or 47, whatever that Thursday happens to be. Uh, anyway, um, the good news is what we've seen with The Quiet Place Part 2, Venom, Ghostbusters, Sing 2 especially, which has been on PVOD since day 17, the, the legs are still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Venom didn't drop dead when it came on to VOD. No Time to Die was on PVOD in 31 days. It did not drop dead at the box office. Mm-hmm. F9 was the leggiest Fast and Furious straight-up sequel, not counting the spinoffs Hobbs and Shaw and Tokyo Drift, since Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, whether it's because consumer, certain consumers prefer theatrical or whether they're just uninformed about the new normal, I don't know. Uh, because right. this is all uncharted territory. But over the summer and through the summer, most signals that I saw were that if a film opened well and was something that was appealing to consumers, it would have normal theatrical legs as long as there was something resembling a theatrical window. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Clayton and I have been talking a lot about whether there truly is a split between a theatrical audience and an at-home audience. And you know, you're just going to have these people who they will not see, they're not going to the theaters, but they're going to be the ones who watch it at home. And then the people who are, you know, even if they haven't seen it yet, their ideas, if there's something I want to see, I'll see it in the theater at some point, even if it is available at home. Um, yes, and what, what fascinated me is that you know you had a situation where SpongeBob's uh, Sponge on the Run mm-hmm. opened on PVOD and on Paramount Plus concurrently? I think in mm-hmm. early March of last year. And even though you know the best value would be for a consumer to sign up for Paramount Plus for a month for what 10, 15 bucks, watch SpongeBob as many times as they damn well want, along with everything else in the Paramount Plus catalog. Versus paying 20 bucks to have SpongeBob for an hour or for 48 hours. Nonetheless, the title did very well on the PVOD and VOD platforms, Google, YouTube, iTunes, Amazon, et cetera, you know, Voodoo, uh, which leads me to believe that there are people that are choosing, you know, the devil, you know, mm-hmm. or even something that's, that's more convenient in the short term. You know, it's maybe more convenient to spend five extra bucks to, Red SpongeBob and not have to worry about canceling the subscription service a month later. There, there's definitely subscription, uh, uh, s- subscription fear that people have. That everyone has the fear of their own mind and their own mind forgetting to cancel and, and, and finding yourself in the nightmare of years later. You're still paying for SpongeBob, Sponge on the Run, uh, years after you ever watched it, after the kid you watched it with has, has left the house and 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 gotten married. You know, so there's always that fear 
when you sign up for a subscription service of what will my life be years from now? Whereas you just order the movie once and then that's it. And I think it's that primal thing that we have from, I know, when we were raised of every stand-up comedian having a joke about signing up for a health club and uh, never being able to uh, cancel it. And I think that has always been in the back of our heads as consumers. And that's the generation that is purchasing things for their kids now. Right, yeah. right. And and Columbia House subscriptions, you know. Oh, yes, that nightmare. For a penny. Yeah, for a penny. And we... We know that was not true, and I think I think subscription uh, streaming services still are, are are fighting that the after effects of Columbia House for for up to this day. The other thing is, and this isn't this is only tangentially related, but this is in terms mm-hmm. of you know churn and subscriber retention, and you know the 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 powers that be that would some powers that be that would like streaming to be sort of the be all end all replacement for everything theaters cable etc which is that it's a lot easier to cancel a streaming service than it is a cable subscription mm-hmm. people yes. will do it right. it's not hard right. all you have to do is remember to do it you sign on to their site and it takes like 10 seconds right but you have so, to remember that's people yeah. trusting their own minds and, but and- there are people who will sign up for disney plus to watch hamilton over july 4th 2020 and then will remember to cancel yeah i mean those are those are great people and uh but they're few and far between so getting back to box office i mean back to the batman Here's something that a one, one of our uh, listeners, a wannabe old boy, Austin, has been writing to us about, and, and it's a great term that we love, which is called birthday party movies. You know, Austin defines a birthday party movie as a type of movie that kids could all go to for, a, a you know, a, mo- a day at the movies birthday party. And his thought on the Batman was that this was not going to be a birthday party movie, the way something like Spider-Man No Way Home. That's a birthday party movie. The Most of the Marvel movies, the MCU movies, are birthday party movies. So do you think... I mean, I guess overall, it seems like you would think Warner Brothers is happy with this version of the... with what the Batman did, but this was a very dark Batman. Do you think there is a different version of this movie that gets to MCU numbers, or is... Is is DC Warner Brothers their properties, the Batman properties? They're just not going to be at the level of the MCU. Well, that is a complicated answer for a complicated question. Mm-hmm. First, so you're a complicated man. So, well, so you're going to have to let me ramble for a minute. I apologize. Uh, first of all, I don't know if the whole grim dark you can't take your kids thing actually was a factor because I mean we had this conversation when the Dark Knight came out. You know, I wrote a piece that turned out to be dead wrong, arguing that that might be an issue because for me, my most recent memory of that kind of thing was kids freaking out over Batman Returns which was 30 years ago, dear God. Um, But at the end of the day, the fact that The Dark Knight was perceived as a dark and violent and not-for-young-kids film obviously made no difference whatsoever in its box office performance. The kids showed up, just like they showed up for The Hunger Games, which I'd argue most of those YA fantasy franchise films are much darker, grimmer, and more violent than most of the comic book movies. Um You know, it's, it's ironically, I'd say Matt Reeves' Planet of the Apes franchise I know he didn't do the first one, but you know the two sequels, those are as dark and grim and pessimistic and cynical as any blockbuster franchise outside of the last Hunger Games movie. True. Um, I do think the Batman is constructed in a way 
that whether it is kid friendly or not, your kid is going to be able to watch it without being traumatized. You know, it is a PG-13 movie. You know, the gunshots are not bloody. The people that are targeted are not, you know, widows, children, and orphans. You know, it's, oh no, they killed the corrupt politician. Boo hoo. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I think that's something where it's it's different than even Batman v Superman, which without getting into the discourse, that's that's whatever. But that's a film where, you know, Lex Luthor spends two and a half hours killing innocent civilians for shits and giggles. Um, That's why I felt that film was a bit like, ooh, I'm not sure if I want to show, you know, my kids going to enjoy this. but having said that, again, you know, who's to say if the film, if Batman and Superman hadn't been be- had been better received, it would have done fine after its huge opening weekend. I don't think the kid-friendly, I think we overestimate the kid-friendly thing. I think we live in a world where kids watch Squid Game and we're not looking. Mm-hmm. And as long as parents have a conversation with them about what that show was about and they raise them to not be dickheads, I think the world will be okay. Right. right. Um as for Marvel versus DC, here's the thing. Looking at the numbers that we are looking at now, $258 million. That's essentially tied with what Spider-Man Homecoming opened with worldwide in 2017. That film ended up with $881 million. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel opened $455 worldwide on the same weekend, 2019. Now, it opened in China concurrently with North America. Batman gets China in two weeks, and the Chinese market is very different than it was two years ago, even for superhero movies. Um, but that being said, if this movie plays normal for that kind of film, we're still looking at a global total between 800 and 880, 885 million dollars. That's on par with most Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the curve has been skewed a bit because you had you know Black Panther and Captain Marvel that ridiculously overperformed. Prior to those movies, no non-Tony excuse me, no non-Tony Stark MCU movie had made even $900 million, let alone a billion dollars. The biggest ones were Thor Ragnarok with 854 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with 869, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think there was a movie that was, oh, of course it'll make a billion dollars. Everybody loved the first one. It would be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And it was a breakout sequel by any rational stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, my point being is that you know the, the there are plenty of super duper successful comic book movies from Marvel and DC, Wonder Woman, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that have made between eight twenty five and or eight twenty and eight sixty, you know, eight seventy worldwide, eight eighty one right, right. worldwide, and so I mean. I do think this film has potential to earn business as usual for a Marvel movie. Uh, wow. I, you know, I don't think a, it ever would have done, you know, a bill, you know, assuming it doesn't. I mean, I don't think we're looking at, you know, Aquaman numbers here. Right, right, right. It's not that movie. Right. Um, but, but, but it seems like you think this is in its way, this is a birthday party movie because basically we don't really know what's going on at these kids' birthday parties. So maybe it's not just Marvel movies. These kids are watching the Batman at their birthday parties. And if they're, God if knows they're, what. And if they deserve to have a really lousy birthday party, they'll be forced to watch Eternals. But yes. That's if they're yeah. bad all year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's if they're naughty. Um, I mean, I think to the extent that Batman is quote unquote kid unfriendly, I just because it's a very long mm-hmm. action light movie that has that is, you know, that is very leisurely paced in it a way that, in my, you know, the same reason I wasn't crazy about it, all due respect, if you were, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of tension or suspense or urgency. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I saw it with my 14 year old who thought the Godfather was just fine, and she was bored out of her mind by the Batman. Did yeah. um, did uh, did you guys see the Godfather in the re-release? Yes. Wow, yes. we saw that on Tuesday. And, you know, it was slow, a little long, but she you know, was old enough to appreciate, you know, this was 50 years ago. This is, you know, this was huge for its time. This was, right. and, you know, a lot of the things that were, are cliches now, you know, the inside look at the mafia and the catchphrases were mm-hmm. unique and, you know, interesting 50 years ago. Right, but the right. movie as a movie still works. And, you know, right. it's, 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 um, I, we could have used some subtitles for Marlon Brando, but I felt that way forever. Um, well, it's commendable to make sure that your child has become has been able to witness box office history because that is what The Godfather is. You know, it was it was the Avengers of its time. Absolutely, you know, the Corleones were the Avengers of their time, and it's very important to not just pay respect to modern box office, but 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 to classic box office so that that's well, you know and it of wasn't anything intentional on my part is she just mentioned offhand that she wanted to see it at some point and when right. i found out it was coming to dolby i said hey do you mind waiting and can see it in the theater right and right. with her i never know if she's gonna change her mind so it's kind of shocked when she actually agreed right but she's got uh, that box office dna so she knew that it yeah it, and it she also knows the done. difference between one that you know really speaks to her and one that's just okay this is just the latest would be deadpool right you know, she so, thought Spider-Man No Way Home was fine. Mm-hmm. She thought Venom was amusing. She mm-hmm. really liked Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the positives here is something that we we were talking about early on. Here is this Sunday number because as you had mentioned before, Scott, there is a lot of money coming from some Wednesday showings, some Thursday showings, and yes, that Friday was going to seem high. But what really makes this feel like a success, if I'm Warner Brothers or just looking at it as us, that $34.1 million on a Sunday down 21% from Saturday, that means that good word of mouth, people are going to see this movie, and it's not super, super front-loaded in a way that's scary for it. And so it does that, I think, when you're looking at that big jump from that Sunday number. Unfortunately, you had to, you know, redo your article, which is upsetting. And, uh, you know, but still, it's good to have this bump on a Monday uh, because, you know, we're seeing people going to see this film and there's no competition. And the big runtime controversy about how long it is. I mean, there's enough screens in the country to play this thing over and over again, and there's nothing else to take those screens. So the runtime, I don't think, makes much of a difference other than someone saying, I'm not willing to sit for three hours. That's the only thing. No one, It's not going to affect the actual amount of showing. The good news is there's lots of scenes that are played out so slowly that you can go to the bathroom and come back before that scene is finished. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that that might be something, you know, you don't work that into the advertising for weekend one, weekend two, but maybe weekend three, you start to let people know, listen, if you haven't come yet because you've got a you got a weak bladder or you're someone who needs to snack frequently, you're there'll be times for you to get up. You know, Riddler will say the same thing a few times. You'll be able to miss one of them and and, and get a snack or or exactly you know, drain the weasel or whatever your um, term for make that. Make bad is. water. Make no, bad and water, most yeah. of the most of the biggest grossing movies of all time, then and now, are really long movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just looking at the and I'm going off memory, so I apologize. Looking at the top 
you know, 20, 30, 40 biggest global grocers not adjusted for inflation. And aside from the animated pictures, most of them are well over two hours, if not close to two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You know, Jurassic mm-hmm. World is an exception because it's only two hours. Right. Yeah. Endgame is long. Avatar is long. Titanic is long. All Lord long of the Rings movies. movies are long. Absolutely. Right. Um, and I think, and again, this is pure speculation, but I have to assume one reason why Matt Reeves was allowed to release a three-hour standalone Batman movie was I think there was a certain assumption that people would watch this on HBO Max and that wouldn't you know, the running time would not be an issue in that format. Mm, and you could would- pause and pee or make popcorn or whatever. I also think it was a way for them, taking that into account, to sort of get back some of the PR about them being a filmmaker-driven studio, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is generally true. But that reputation took a bit of a hit because of, you know, right or wrong, what they chose to do with after Batman v Superman was poorly received and, you know, how they rejiggered Suicide Squad, et cetera, et cetera. Is, and again, uh, it, it's, that's a, it's a micro macro narrative for a micro situation, but they've been combating that, that, that tag, that, that narrative for a while. And right. I think saying, hey, we gave Matt Reeves $180 million to do a borderline R-rated standalone three-hour Batman movie. We love filmmakers. And even more closely tied to the whole thing is the the whole kerfluffle that Nolan took his uh, ball and went somewhere else because of the HBO Max day and date. And Nolan was the Batman guy. And so that looked really bad for them. And this is definitely damage control in that way i'm sympathetic i'm sympathetic to warner a little bit on that because they did release the movie in the middle of the summer they did they put tried. It out there and it kicked ass world overseas <laughs> the only yeah. place where it really crapped the bed was in north america mm-hmm. and a big part of that is is because right or wrong la and new york theaters never reopened mm-hmm no one could say that Warner Brothers didn't try with Tenet. No one could ever say that because there's no reason for them wanting it to fail. It just happened to go that way. And I will say to a certain extent, that was a movie that wasn't intended to be in all purposes, all quadrants, theatrical savior crowd pleaser, the way it ended up being positioned as. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not huge on the movie, but there are plenty of smart people that think it's fun. And I did enjoy it the second time with subtitles. Um, yeah, the sound mix think, is, is so interesting with him. I sat, I drove to Vegas to see that at opening night because they weren't screening it for press in Los Angeles because their theaters weren't open. Um, no regrets. I had a, it was a perfectly nice drive, but mm-hmm. I sat and three, dead, weeks, three weeks later, you came back. <laughs> <laughs> I sat dead center in the middle of an IMAX screen with my hearing aids turned on relatively high, and I still missed 40 percent of the dialogue yeah wow and again this is a long complicated conversation about chris nolan's audio mixes my thing is always that i wouldn't be so bothered by it if he wasn't the only guy in town getting 200 million dollars to make original movies right True. right yeah you know, but, if he was just one guy doing this thing then it would be just you know nolan's weird quirk but right, because he's right. kind of the only game in town it's like i th- i do think he has a certain responsibility to make sure those films do in fact play better in theaters versus on a blu-ray with subtitles right um so on the batman because we we've got a few other uh, movies that we want to talk to you about so Clayton and Scott, is there anything else that w- that either of you want to say about this opening weekend of the Batman? I mean, I think our big takeaway is Warner should be very happy. This hit the 
high end of realistic expectations. Yes. Realistically speaking, this was a best case scenario opening weekend. You had a situation where it was a another Batman movie. Mm-hmm. It was another grim, dark Batman movie. It was another grim, dark crime drama, 70s based Batman movie starring actors that were known, but were not butts in seats mm-hmm. playing villains that you've already seen in other Batman movies. Mm-hmm. And in most of those cases, looking nothing like their comic book counterparts, mm-hmm. this could have been Batman Begins all over again. And we love Batman Begins, but that movie was not a mega smash. It was just, it opened to 30, $73 million in five days. Wow. Um, it just lagged out because it was very good. And it did 206 domestic. It did 371 worldwide on a 150 budget, which by today's standards wouldn't be all that good. But this was at a time when marketing was a little cheaper. And you still had a vibrant DVD Blu-ray market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one huge advantage that Marvel has. They Marvel started doing their thing back when 449 for Thor was an holy shit amazing success. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at the Batman, which is in a exactly the same situation as Batman Begins was, which is you gotta reboot Batman after a two movie set that people didn't like. And the Batman in comparison to that did way better you know yeah, even, I mean, it would... opened be- you know it even when i throw an amazing spider-man as an example you know amazing right. spider-man then oh we need to reboot it with uh you know within the mcu you had the tony stark advantage for god's sakes right, this right. film had a I mean, I, inflation i don't know off the top of my head but in terms of raw friday to sunday grosses it opened bigger than any fresh start reboot ever Right. It made more than Amazing Spider-Man. It made more than Spider-Man Homecoming. It made more than Star Trek, Casino Royale, Man of Steel. Um, the closest thing that you can say maybe kind of sort of was bigger was Deadpool, which that's that's a coin toss because it did 132 over three days, 152 over four, over four days. Um, and yes, it's technically a redo, but it acknowledges the events of X-Men and Origins Wolverine. Right, you know, it right. acknowledges and takes place within the world of the Fox X-Men movie. So it's not quite a fresh start. Right. right. And it's the same actor. So yeah, it's the same. Yes, it's the same actor. So then, uh, you know, you in that you mentioned a few things I want to move on to. One of which was you mentioned Spider-Man and one of which was you mentioned how people like Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz, you know, they're not butts in the seats movie stars, but Looking at another movie that's been out for three weeks here, Uncharted, starring Tom Holland. And, you know, fantastic opening weekend did what, 51 million in the four day? And and just I would say over overshot most expectations. It's holding really well. So Tom Holland, is he and Clayton has been very careful about, you know, we're not jumping ahead, but is this the start of someone who could be a butts in the seat movie star. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But, you know, Spider-Man is an IP. You never really could give the superhero actors credit for those performances. But Uncharted, I mean, to me, the video game thing is like most people don't know that. It feels like an old-fashioned movie. So talk about the performance of that and where you see Tom Holland on being an old-fashioned butts in the seat movie star. Potentially, potentially. We don't want to go nuts. Well... It's complicated because, you know, it, the world is different than, you know, six six years ago when I wrote, you know, look, guys, just because Deadpool opened well doesn't mean 
Ryan Reynolds as a movie star because that film had had followed a number of very high profile flops with mm-hmm. studios wrongly thinking that he could carry a movie of all shapes and sizes. Uh, he's a good actor. He's an, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a really nice and self-aware human being. Uh, and I, you know, I, I like some of his movies better than others, but you know, it's, 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 you know, that Deadpool did as well as did, didn't retroactively mean that selfless would have been, you know, a bankable proposition. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, Ryan Reynolds has starred in just enough solid little hits like Free Guy, Detective Pikachu, and The Hitman's Bodyguard to make me wonder, you know, is there a little, you know, it, did it help? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Ryan Reynolds, Tom Holland, and I think Robert Pattinson do an effect are examples of sort of the newfangled stardom which is that they're never going to put butts in seats for just a movie movie. You know, that unless mm-hmm. you're Leonardo DiCaprio, that moment is over, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it's so cheap that you're Gerard Butler and a $15 million opening is a triumph. Yeah, right, right. Um, but I do think when you have an actor in an IP playing a marquee character and you can debate how much of a marquee character Nathan Drake is. Obviously Peter Parker is a huge marquee character. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that marquee character also is a vague, ver- you know, a, a variation of his on-screen and or off on-screen persona, like Tom Hardy being a nutcase in Venom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a certain added spice to that. Mm-hmm. than if you just cast, you know, any old guy, you know, Chris Pine is Venom. All due respect. Right. Um, so I do think casting Robert Pattinson as the Batman in this kind of Batman picture did provide added value to the package mm-hmm. in a way that I offhand can't think of any other actor of his age range that would have, commercially speaking, been as as appealing of a combination. No, he's the definitive. If you want emo Batman, Robert Pattinson is the guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because you know, you get the Twilight fan base, you get you know, the the and I know I think for better or worse, and I think frankly for better, I think the circle is kind of you know, the, the 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 critical consensus is somewhat turned on the Twilight franchise that we're not willing to admit that you know they were maybe they weren't for you, but they were they were pretty damn unique mm-hmm. and they were kind of fun if you were in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's 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 they weren't good movies, but, but, and I think this is important, not everybody can do the kind of work that Stewart and Pattison did in those movies. The same way that not everybody can do the swashbuckling hero thing that Brendan Fraser and Orlando Bloom do so yes. well. You yes. know, you, you know, you watch Pirates of the Caribbean and then watch Prince of Persia. You can debate whether Jake Gyllenhaal is a better overall actor than Orlando Bloom, but <laughs> Orlando Bloom is a much better swashbuckling hero than Jake Gyllenhaal is. Right. Jay Gyllenhaal is a nightcrawler. Yeah, exactly. We need our nightcrawlers. Yeah. Uh, And I think one of the problems with the star system in general is that they took every vaguely handsome white guy and tried to make him into the next Tom Cruise and then kept casting them in, you know, versions of legend over and over again. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. you weren't giving them their risky business. They're a few good men. They're days of thunder. They're Mm -hmm. top gun. They're rain man. And those are the films that in the olden days, so to speak, or how you you know created a star persona? Yeah, um, in the in the in the, in the uh, old sort of formula, Tom uh, um, Tom Holland's next movie, he would be a public defender or something akin to that. Absolutely, yeah. and it would be a 
20 to $40 million picture that would only need to open to around $10 million because it would leg out to, you know, 60 if it was good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it would do 100, 120 worldwide and everybody would be thrilled. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone then to talk about in that exact respect is dog. I mean, this the dog run. I mean, here's a headline for you. The, the, the dog run is open. You know, the, this dog run has been spectacular. This is a movie that looks like the budget was $15 million. Everyone that I heard when this trailer was going around for months were sort of like very nonchalant about it, very flippant. And here we are, this movie in its third week is at $40 million domestic. I mean, Channing Tatum, to me, is a guy who we really should have in that conversation of butts in the seat movie star because he had a great run. You know, he had his Jump Street movies. He had the Magic Mike movies. Um, he had the G.I. Joe movies. He was just on a great run. And to me, he, when you really look at his then career, he kind of just took a break. There weren't that many big flops. You know, it's not like he's coming back from flops. He kind of took a little break, did some auteur movies, just hung out, did whatever he did. And you come back with Dog. I mean, that is exactly the type of small movie making a good uh, uh, box office return that you outlined. And so I guess talk to the Dog Run and where you think Channing Tatum stacks up as a guy who gets people to come see a movie because it's a Channing Tatum movie. Or is the dog the movie star here? Well, I do think the dog is a big part. And I'm not taking anything away from Jenning Tatum because Mm -hmm. there are plenty of other actors in that role that probably wouldn't have opened the movie to $18 million. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think Jenning Tatum is somebody that reminds me a lot of Patrick Swayze in that after he became famous, they tried to turn him into an action star Mm -hmm. when audiences really just wanted him as a lover, not a fighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and when you know his when he eventually capitalized on step up you know it took six years because he kept getting second chance after second chance you know the films that broke out were dear john in 2010 the vow in 2012 21 jump street in 2012 magic mike in 2012 and then what happens in 2013 he stars in a grim dark you know a political thriller with mark Wahlberg on broken city that nobody shows up for mm-hmm. and then i love the movie but he stars in a 150 million dollar diehard movie uh, white house town yeah. that mm-hmm. in terms of budget severely underperforms mm-hmm. and that's basically the end of his run as a butts and seats draw well you i mean you have 22 jump street yes the sequels magic mike and, and 22 jump street right right but right. in terms of you know new stuff right um right. And you're right. He did slow down in terms of his output. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to, you know, he had a small role in, uh, what's it called? Uh, Hail Caesar in early 2016. Right. He had Hateful um, Eight. He was sort of, yeah. it seemed like he was sort of just like want to hang out on sets and probably yeah. shadow, secretly shadow director oh, yeah. so he could co-direct Dog. I mean, I if mean, there was if, no Hateful Eight cameo, if, we might not have Dog. Yeah. And you, you know, if, if. You know, if Steve Steven Soderbergh is your best friend and wants you to wants to put you in all of his movies, sure, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's heartbreaking that Lucky Logan didn't do or Logan Lucky didn't do better. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, frankly, I think if that had come out in 2012, 2013, it might have done better. Right. I think by that time the bottom had fallen out on the studio programmer. And this mm-hmm. goes back to you know my old man screaming on the street stub speech from six years ago, which is that you know 
around late 2015, early 2016, what we saw was that the audience that used to go to the movies just to go to the movies. And they would either see non-tentpole films or they would see tentpole films and other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they would see, uh, you know, up and the proposition. Right. Um, that audience gravitated to streaming almost instantly. Right. So you, you know, since then, Hollywood has been struggling with the commercial viability of studio programmers. You know, star-driven, high-concept uh, adaptations or original pictures that aren't you know, giant franchisee deadpools. Right, right. Um, so, but I do think Dog doing as well as it's doing is reason for Paramount to be optimistic about the Lost Lost City in two yes. weeks. Yes, three weeks um, with with Sandra Bullock, who was on a huge role when she sort of stopped mm-hmm. in you know 2015, and then she did two, Ocean's Eight in 2000. 18, which almost did 300 million on a 70 budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's done a couple of Netflix movies, which have been massive hits for Netflix. Right. I mean, she's their biggest movie star in a walk. Right. Right. I mean, okay, fine. The dystopian bird box is their second biggest, you know, most viewed movie in the first 28 days. The unforgivable and under the radar, nobody talked about it. Not very good. Grim dark drama, which has nothing to mm-hmm. offer other than Sandra Bullock in an atypical role is like their fifth most watched movie. Wow. Uh, all the money they spend on, on things like bright and the, uh, you know, the roads was it six underground and stuff. And it, and it's, and it's a Sandra Bullock, you know, uh, a prison movie that ends up being the thing everyone wants. Again, I, I think Netflix maybe thinks they have money to do everything, mm-hmm. but it drives me nuts when I see them, trying to cultivate franchises and building IP and, you know, buying somebody else's IP, you know, you're Netflix. You don't need a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Right, you can right. get people to show up for a star plus concept programmer that they wouldn't show up for in theaters. That's why Ryan Reynolds has been so successful on streaming. Mm-hmm. Well, people like him, but they might not go to the theater to see something he's in, but they'll damn sure press play on the Adam project. Mm-hmm. He's got the face. He's got the face yeah. for a thumbnail. So, I mean, <laughs> Back to Lost City, because, I mean, Clayton, this is one we've been talking about for months. And, you know, we kind of feel here on the B.O. Boys that this is a one of the most important movies of at least the first half of this year. Because Lost City is as old-fashioned as it gets. It's two movie stars, you know, or a movie star and someone who may be on his way to being a movie star again in a fun premise. And and you got Brad Pitt in there. I mean, this this is an 80s or 90s you know movie star movie and uh we both think that there's a good chance that this hits big i mean the trailer has been playing like gangbusters every time i've seen it before a movie and like you said sandra bullock is someone who sneakily has still been at the front of everyone's mind the last few years and i think the dog run is showing that tatum still has his audience especially young you know women so, uh, well, let's look at it in that way. Are the women, which, I mean, that has been an audience that has been the slowest to come back, you know, since the pandemic to the box office. Dog, I think, has brought them out. Spider-Man's and Uncharted have brought them out. Are they going to be coming out in a big enough way to make Lost City a hit? You know, what is your outlook on this and what could it mean for movie star movies? I hope so. 
And to be fair, there's a case to be made that a lot of the movies that have actually gone to the theaters in the last two years are stereotypically speaking more male driven pictures. Mm hmm. I mean, you know, I don't, obviously there's plenty of women that like Venom and there's plenty of men that can show up to Lost City, but stereotypically speaking, you know, those are considered somewhat, you know, women weren't racing out to see Snake Eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and to so, yeah, men weren't either. Well, that's true. Nobody was. Nobody and was. it's one of those things is like, don't you dare blame this on the pandemic. This film was doomed from four years ago. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> there were a lot of releases like that last summer. It was very frustrating because, like, yeah. I was going, "Oh, this flop!" Just like I said, it was two, three years ago. Like, "Oh, everything's changed." The pandemic. It was like, mm -hmm. "No, I'm sorry." You could go back and read my three-year-old articles about the Suicide Squad. I, you know, not to toot my own horn, right. I was right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, because you have always been somebody who has calmed the masses. That's why we respect you so much. You were calming the masses this weekend again over the Batman numbers. You've just been very consistent, and we've, listen, we listened, we've read your articles, we try to take that same tack of, let's all calm down and think about, would this movie have done well in normal circumstances? And it's good to have good old-fashioned bombs at the box office, because that means that things are getting back to normal. Yes, mm -hmm. that's absolutely right. The only, I would think the only miss that is scary for me in terms of, I think it would have been a big hit in non COVID times is death on the Nile. Uh, yeah. Cause you have murder on the Orient express. We did three fifty five worldwide mm -hmm. on a 60 million budget, 102 ish domestic, decent reviews, decent buzz, decent legs. Mm -hmm. And death on the Nile was supposed to come out, you know, December, 2019. Uh, it was delayed to late 2020, which seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got pushed to eventually, you know, late, early 2022. Um, I don't think the online scandals revolving and considering the cast members made a damn bit of difference. You know, I don't think anyone cared about who Army Hammer was before they thought he was, might be a cannibal. Right. Um, but being a, being a possible cannibal, I think that keeps him from being able to do, you know, carpool karaoke with James Corden and advertise the movie. I think I definitely agree that the Twitter scandals don't matter in as much as though they keep the stars from being like part of the marketing. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, and, and I guess to me, my only thought was like, how much value would that be him specifically doing that even in a normal situation? Right. And right. unfortunately the problem is there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of cross media jumping. I mean, everybody devoured David S pumpkin on SNL in October, 2016, but nobody showed up to Inferno. Right. Right. Yeah. But they may have gone seeing the David S. Pumpkins uh, sketch comedy movie starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> Possibly. If it opened up the next week. But I mean, listen, I, 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 I am a I'm a defender of old fashioned SNL spinoff character movies. So that's uh, fair. Yeah. God, it's so, so that, bad that we consider that a nostalgic throwback. <laughs> it's definitely a genre that's not coming back to the box office. No, but. And that's, I, I, I think, think when, why so many SNL cast members are staying for 15, 20 years at a time. Yep. I'm not the first person to say that. That's, you no. know. There's nowhere to go. There's no box office for, for comedy movie stars. So on Death on the Nile, I mean, the other thing is you got to remember, even though his, his star had dimmed by that point and is getting dimmer, the first one did have Johnny Depp. And it also came out on Thanksgiving and for and a movie targeting an older audience 
I because mean, listen, I remember, and I think Clayton, we went with uh, my in-laws. You know, it was a perfect Thanksgiving. You know, your your mother-in-law who goes to the movies once a year. She knows who Johnny Depp is. She doesn't know the scandals. She likes that. She loves Christie Maggie novels. or Judy Dench. Exactly. Uh, was was Maggie Smith in that one too, or am I mistaken? I mean, if she wasn't, she might as well have been. Yeah, yeah. But I think she was. But I, I think there was a lot in the casting to that sequel that it, it probably was never going to get close to that first one anyway. You know, Gal Gadot, I don't think, is as big of a star coming off of the second Wonder Woman as they well, hoped and this she would have would come be. out before the second Wonder Woman, or right, yeah, give or take. Right, right. Um, and I, I guess for me, I think looking at what that was versus what, you know, I think if that had come out in non-COVID times, it probably would have gotten to 250 without much of a sweat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it would have been a come down because you have folks really curious the first time. Right. But, you know, it would have done a hell of a lot better than the 115 that it's basically at right now. And that's scary because that's the kind of film that you think of when you think of a, a franchise for adults. Yeah, because that was such a refillable sort of movie that you could do. Yeah, yeah. And as long as you have the lead the lead uh, there, you could just take any actor and throw him in there. So, yeah, that was disappointing. Still in the top five, though, but it's, you know, that's something, but the money's not, what is it, 37 no, right now? it's a $90 it's million not, dollar picture that's going to yeah. will barely crack 120. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I I don't know. I mean, optimistically, you couldn't throw out all the reasons why it wouldn't have done well anyway. And I'm, I'll be thrilled if I'm wrong, because that means mm-hmm. there is hope. But if that film represents the new normal, then we're all in trouble. Well, so back to Lost City, like, what do you what do you put as parameters for success on that movie, both in terms of, you know, we're still three weeks out, but. Opening weekend, what's a number where if it goes over this, you're going to say, wow, this is this is a big win for Bullock. Tatum is a movie star. This type of movie is viable. And then long term, is that a movie that could do $100 million or is that yes. overshooting? Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it will. Mm-hmm. But I'm when, when, you know, 15, you know 13, 10, 15 years ago when Sandra Bullock was having, well, I guess we could call her second wind. You know, mm-hmm. she basically broke her own opening weekend record milestone like six times in a row between 2007 and 2015. Incredible. With the exception of uh, All About Steve. We won't count that one because I'm cheating. Yeah. But, you know, Premonition, and then the pre- uh, Premonition, then the Proposal, then the Blind Side, then Gravity, then the Heat. Excuse me, Heat, then Gravity. Um, and then she basically took two years off for, you know, whatever. And then in 2015, she comes back with freaking Minions, which does 100. Obviously, it's a cartoon, but I think it helped her, mm-hmm. you know, as an added value element, you know, 115 million. And then she bombs in this, you know, our brand is crisis. And then she disappears for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she can afford to. That's fine. Right. Um, by the way, our brand is crisis was probably the most prescient political movie of that era. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's very you know, depressing. I- I haven't seen it. I have seen All About Steve, though, and I could say that was also very prescient. But, <laughs> you know, I should see our brand of crisis because if, um, if, if it'll teach me something about how I'm living now, then, then <laughs> I got to go back. Um, it As far as Lost City, I mean, on a COVID curve, I'd be thrilled with anything over 20. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming the budget wasn't like over 60. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to assume there were you know costs 
you know, stuff put in place. You know, they're not, you know, Paramount's smart enough. They're not going to make back a hundred million on this one. Right. I mean, if you're only spending 80 on Sonic the Hedgehog, I'm assuming you're not spending a hundred on the Lost City. Well, um, well, I mean, there's, there's the thing to talk about. Talk about Paramount and the run they've had this year. And, you know, where, where, what are you predicting for the other non-Lost City movie coming? I mean, they got Sonic coming out in April. Paramount, they, as a studio, I think have become, I think for the B.O. Boys, what our favorite studio right now. But, but where, where well, they're are putting you stuff at in theaters on like certain studios called Disney? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm bitchy about Disney because they spent six years convincing audiences that Disney movies were the only thing worth seeing in theaters, and now they're not putting anything in theaters. I mean, go go for it. You know, we have we have a uh, uh, something we do here, uh, Clayton and I. We cut the shit, you know, on on the Bo Boys when, when there's something when there's shit worth cutting, we cut through it and give the truth. Well, here you go. Do you want to let's have a cut the shit moment? With Scott Mendelson turning red, Disney. What what exactly do you want to say? I understand Bob Chapek and friends looking at Pixar as an A plus brand as a carrot for Disney Plus subscribers. I understand that that's their priority right now. And it's not that they're devaluing Pixar, it's that they're devaluing movie theaters. However, I believe that they undercut Encanto by basically advertising it as a, yeah, it'll be in theaters, but it'll be on Disney Plus on Christmas Eve. You know, they were basically, and again, the, the actual on the ground marketers did their work. They did, you know, they did everything they needed to do. The trailers were fine, the posters were good. I would never, ever blame the boots on the ground marketers. You know, in, in the same way, I wouldn't blame any of the Warner Brothers marketing people for the Project Popcorn fallout and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you had Jason Killer running AT and T with a you know break things mentality, and if you want my personal opinion, I think he is willing to set a few more fires before he walks out the door. But whatever. And and is it Jason? It's Jason Killer, not Jason Killar. I mean, that makes so much sense now that. I hear it that way. I don't know. I could be mistaken. I was, is it Killar or Killer? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it should be Jason Killer based on, you know, look <laughs> well, at the. It's K-I-L-A-R, so I assume it's Killar or Killar. I mean, I mean. It's listen. Killer now for us. That's all we're ever going to say. <laughs> um, look at the Matrix box office. It's Jason Killer. Well, that was going to fly. Again, that was another one that was doomed anyway. You know, that was another case of, this was something that was popular 20, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. The sequels, I love the sequels, but they were not well received. Mm-hmm. That was a doomed project from inception. And, you know, it's it's funny that the whole film is basically about how they were going to do it without the Wachowskis, which mm-hmm. then convinced at least one Wachowski to say, fine, I'll do it just so somebody else doesn't. And they made a giant fuck you for making me do this you know, skewed parody on legacy sequels and shocker. It didn't play well to those that wanted a simplistic heroes fantasy of the first film. Yeah. It was a Um, confusing situation all around, but again, and again, I like the first two sequels. I like Mm -hmm. the fourth one. Well enough. It's not my favorite, but whatever, Mm -hmm. but you got to remember, you know, this is 2003, the matrix reloaded, you know, does 742 worldwide. Huge smash, but it has a decisive word of mouth. The reception is not as good as the the audiences like it less than the critics. That Mm -hmm. does happen sometimes. Uh, Godzilla, for example. Um, And then six months later, the Matrix Revolutions only makes $427 million. Mm -hmm. Now, that Mm -hmm. means on its face that like half the audience 
not only are they not interested in a fourth matrix sequel, they never even bothered to finish the initial trilogy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're expecting an audience that gave up 20, 18 years ago to be excited for another one. Right. 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 It was, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it, it just shows that, I mean, you're, you're seeing with Paramount and, and what they're digging up for Paramount plus they're looking for any IP to just do over again, but maybe they you don't budget it at the number of the matrix. Yes. Was. Because they're in a trap right now where people only show up for movies for marquee characters. Mm-hmm. And that usually involves an IP or a, you know, a, a real life celebrity, which is one reason you're seeing all these musical biopics. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think that's one reason why you're seeing all these, you know, the rise and fall of the scandal you vaguely remember from the 90s miniseries mm-hmm. or 2000s mm-hmm. miniseries you're seeing right now. You know, the Elizabeth Holmes story, the Pam and Tommy story, the impeachment yeah. story. It's it's this weird prestige streaming TV version of marquee characters and IP. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, is, it is true. I mean, and, Monica Lewinsky is IP. And what's the one movie version of that that you could, you know, everybody says, oh, this eight hour miniseries could have been a two and a half hour movie. And that's generally true. What's Mm -hmm. the one, you know, House of Gucci? That's the two and a half hour movie version of that. And it's the closest thing we've had to an adult skewing hit in two years. Right. So, uh, Looking ahead, Clayton. Well, actually, Clayton, did you have something you want? Well, to no, I just wanted to. St- I I needed a swipe at this shit real quick with Disney, mm-hmm. just really fast, because you mentioned Encanto. It's standing at ninety five right now. This thing, thing should have been over a hundred million dollars. It's got the number one song in the country, or it did for a few weeks. The second time it's ever happened, this movie had so much buzz, and like you said, they they cut it off at the knees because they put it on uh, Disney Plus during Christmas and they touted it as, well, you can wait, you can wait, you can wait. And now seeing Red, I'm seeing reviews coming out and I was like, well, why are they reviewing this movie right now? And it's like, oh, that's right. It's coming out this week on, on a weekend on Disney Plus. And it's crazy when you've got something like Sing 2 in the theaters that was on PVOD after 17 days and still was playing in theaters Great. It was playing great. Scene two has made 155 domestic and 360 worldwide on an $80 million budget. So it's not as expensive as like a top tier Pixar. Yeah. But that's pretty damn close to the Secret Life of Pets 2, which mm-hmm. earned uh, 160 domestic and 430 worldwide on an 80 million budget in the summer of 2019. So if you argue that Sing 2 has earned pretty close to as expected box office, even while thriving on VOD, then I will damn well argue that Disney could have kept Encanto in theaters only for at least two months yes, and actually treated it as a theatrical event and gotten $450, $550, $650 million yes. and still gotten huge viewership on Disney Plus when the time arrived eventually. Right. They could have had it both. They, they didn't need have. to sacrifice one for the other. Yeah, we did. We don't talk about Bruno is such a huge song with kids. They'd go to the theater to sing it along with people they don't even know. It's an event. It's a shared event that Disney just said no to. And now you've got Seeing Red, which I mean, you've said it's great. I've heard it's great. Do you think there's any chance? Because we're going to look forward after this, but a little looking forward real quickly. Do you think there's any chance? that the uh, uh the next pixar film the uh what's i'm sorry the toy story one um lightyear is there any chance lightyear gets shifted to disney plus uh, i don't know 
and the the very complicated conversation about that and without necessarily arguing correlation equals causation or anything other than coincidence it is frustrating especially the extent to which disney has made diversity inclusivity a part of its brand you know it it it's almost an alibi against criticism because it's giving underrepresented voices a seat at the table and a chance in the spotlight great they should have been doing that 20 years ago but hey they were doing it before most of their rivals were so kudos that's part of how they became a dominant force when they stopped trying to rip off Pipes the Caribbean and started trying to rip off uh, Alice in Wonderland. That being said, what are the movies that have gotten their, you know, been streaming Sacrificial Lambs? Uh, Luca, Soul, Raya and the Last Dragon, Mulan, uh, Jungle Cruise, Cruella. These are all uh, uh, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, Eternals. These are mostly films that had that were for, from, by, about, not a white guy protagonists. Mm -hmm. What's ironically been their one full-on, no-bullshit theatrical it? Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy. What's the first Pixar movie that's probably going to get a full-on theatrical release? Chris Evans' Lightyear. That may be a coincidence, but it fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how you cut the shit right there. That shit is thoroughly cut. Yeah. (laughs) So... A few we would do some let's do some quick hits on a few things coming out in the basically the spring, early summer. I want to throw out first. Uh we talked about Paramount, Sonic the Hedgehog, part two, the sequel, not the squeakquel. This is a proper sequel. I still can't spell out. that right. I still have to look it up. Well, thirteen that's, years later. That's that's how they that's why they did it, because they keep that uh, Google traffic going. Everyone's still looking up how you spell the squeakle. And Grammarly so, refuses to learn. No, someday, someday. You have to pay for it though. So Sonic I 2 coming out. <laughs> no, sorry, I'll stop. Sonic 2 coming out. Um, you know, that first one I would say way overperformed. You know, we did not expect that to be the blockbuster it was. Um, could the sequel Build on that, you know, because I think unlike something, and this is, you know, one of your your the your big terms, the Tomb Raider trap, where the first movie is a big hit, but it's bad, and the sequel is maybe better and and performs a lot worse. I do think people like. Excuse me. Oh wow, that is a big prediction. Now I really can't wait for the sequel just to see if that plays out. But with Sonic, I do think that was a liked movie. I think people like the Jim Carrey going back to his 90s Jim Carrey style comedy performance. So is this a movie that could break out or it's just that first one people got what they wanted and now Sonic 2 will probably do what we thought Sonic 1 was going to do? Both scenarios are frustratingly possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, yes, this could very much be a folks when you're curious the first time situation. This could also be a situation where we have a lot of kids franchises where the first film is sort of perceived as an all audiences picture, but the sequel is is just for kids, the Mm -hmm. Lego movie, the Angry Birds movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a big reason why Universal Centrals to PVOD at the start of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. because even in good times, they saw the writing on the wall. Um, Having said that, Sonic is a marquee character. Robotnik 
especially played by Jim Carrey as, as a marquee character. You want to talk star plus character as a version of your on-screen persona. That's Jim Carrey as Dot mm-hmm. Robotnik, basically playing a riff on his, his manic 90s star-making roles. Mm-hmm. That was incredibly shrewd casting on their part two mm-hmm. years, two, three years ago. Because it, it sort of it played off of you know the, the very same people that were nostalgic for, for Sonic were the same, you know, they were the kids when Ace Ventura, the mask of Dumb and Dumber came out. Yeah. Um, and that persona is obviously something that, you know, my kid, you know, my kids think that's funny. It's not like that's that's not a that's a humor that transcends age groups. It's just a goofy guy making goofy faces and goofy noises in a an impressive, flexible fashion. Right. Talking um, out of your butt is timeless. Yeah. And I, I think to his credit, because he's a good actor, he gave a real performance. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hilariously fun whiplash to watch that while I was watching the first season of Kidding uh, on Showtime, yes. where he plays mm-hmm. a borderline suicidal Mr. Rogers type character who's grappling poorly with the accidental death of his son. Mm-hmm. Um, that terrific, by the way, if, if you want, you know, that's a recommendation. Um, the other thing is that, you know, again, people like Sonic. A lot of people watch Sonic as a comfort watch in the early days of the pandemic because it was a very relaxed, you know, it's, it's, it was a harmless babysitter and it was absolutely painless for parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a certain fondness for the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, again, there's nothing going to be nothing else for kids. Right. Right. I mean, the Batman, you know, whether it's kid friendly or not, it's certainly not. Gee, Johnny, let's go see a, th- you know, let's spend three and a half hours in the theater watching a super dark Batman movie again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how Fantastic Beast is going to play to kids. Uh, well, that's a whole different complicated conversation. Um, Morbius, I don't know how that's going to play to kids or if kids are even going to give a damn. Because, you know, all due respect, Tom Hardy being goofy, wild, and crazy Venom is a lot more interesting to normal, regular people than Jared Leto just, hey, I'm Morbius. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not exactly emo Morbius. No. You know, it's, it's, it's almost lazy Morbius, which is different. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, a, that's a good description of it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, but so, you know, you've got, there's a good possibility that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will be the first really kid-friendly film since Uncharted, mm-hmm. which I thought was a pretty soft PG-13 as far as those things go. I mean, that was a film that was made with young children in mind. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, Clayton, do you want to talk about what do you think was, Clayton has a theory of one of the things that made Uncharted so palatable to young kids. What was that, Clayton? Well, it's the Mark Wahlberg factor in the sense that he had made a pivot into kids movies and they were the lone successes that he's had in the past few years, like the Daddy's Home, uh, Daddy's Home 2. Instant Family did not do great at the box office, but I do think that's a well-liked movie that did well. Yeah. It's such a great movie. It should have done way better. Yeah, and but I'm, I th- I'm happy it did as well as it did in that environment. And I think it probably did very well on home video. And the thing with these kids is that they, they, the kids who went to see Uncharted, they grew up with him as a daddy figure. And now daddy is home. Daddy is in a movie with their new favorite actor because Tom Holland is very big with very young people because he's non-threatening. And so the Wahlberg is the Wahlberg factor of it was very, very strong. And I think that's great for him moving forward. Uh, yeah, I, I actually agree with that. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, even in a more generic sense, casting a, a butts and seat star from yesteryear alongside the new model was very shrewd casting. Again, mm-hmm. I, I think from a, an artistic point of view, making it a young Nathan Drake origin story was a terrible idea. Uh, I felt like I was watching James Bond Jr. And that's not a compliment. Oh, but yes. commercially, I can't argue with the results. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So um, another one. So yeah, that's ahead. actually interesting. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so another one looking ahead that you mentioned, we got to talk about it. The Fantastic Beast series part three. There it is. The, the music that everyone uh, doesn't really know that well. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic Beast three. This is called what? The Secrets of Dumbledore. So they're really going for it. They're just throwing Dumbledore in the title. Yeah. I can't they're, believe they're... that. They didn't just put like in parentheses Harry Potter franchises in the title, but this series, uh, something interesting that I, I feel like you talked a lot about when that second one came out and bombed was that they might think of the third one as possibly an exit. You know, if the third one really sinks, they might have to film it in a way where this could be the exit strategy. Uh, first of all, have you heard anything to that effect from whether you've seen the film or heard anything? Is the third it's one heard things here and there? But honestly, it's nothing. Nothing. I, I don't want to spread rumors in case I'm wrong. Right. So, um, well, what do you think the trajectory of this is going to be? Because I mean, I that second one. What did it top out at domestically? Like one fifty-five. One fifty-five. I mean, Clayton and I have have talked about. Could this possibly? just land so poorly that it doesn't hit a hundred domestically. Yes. Uh, wow. Even before, you know, even aside from COVID and, you know, I've been, you know, waving the fire torches for, you know, two years, three years now, God, almost four years. Cause you know, but you know, the pattern that we see with franchises that nobody really wants, or they gave it a shot and it didn't deliver divergent crashed on the third film. Mm-hmm. Terminator Terminator Salvation did just well enough to make them think they could get away with a fifth one, mm-hmm. which did just well enough in China to wrongly make them think they could get away with a sixth one. Mm-hmm. And then the sixth one, everybody said, no, stop it. Stop. Right. Right. Stop doing this. Right. Um, that's the thing is if you remove China from the equation, Terminator Genosis made less than Terminator Salvation. And you know, say what you will about China, you know, the film did $113 million off a $26 million opening day. Mm-hmm. So China came, they saw, they said, don't bother. Yep. Uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, China has taste. Mm-hmm. You know, they are mm-hmm. perfectly capable of showing up in mass for something like Warcraft because they really want to see it. And then saying, no, this did, is the stinks. Did China uh, put a lot of money into that second uh, uh, Fantastic Beast? Is, is Fantastic Not Beast? Not a ton. Possible? I think okay. it was like 60. But don't oh wow! Because so, I haven't looked it up. The first one did eighty six, which isn't bad. Okay, but uh, yeah, these are in nowhere near. Uh, no, this Marvel. is in triple X numbers, right, right? Um, and I think if it follows like Terminator Gen- Dark Fate and Divergent Allegiant, and frankly X Men Dark Phoenix, mm-hmm. especially if you count X Men Days of Future Past as sort of a more an X Men four than a second chapter of the first class franchise. Mm-hmm. I think X-Men mm-hmm. First Class is my probably my favorite X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. So quality notwithstanding, it was not that big. You know, it made 346 on a 160 budget, which again, back then that was considered good enough. 
Right, right. And then they added, you know, they did the you know Fast and Furious thing, and they threw in all the, you know, they threw in the stars from all the franchises into one, you know, gumbo, and everybody showed up. Mm-hmm. And that wrongly convinced them that oh, people must like the James McAvoy, Michael, Fa- Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence continuity. Spoiler: no. They did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they still went ahead with X Men: Dark Phoenix because they wrongly thought because of China, because China did 125 for X Men: Apocalypse for a 543 million dollar total. That must mean people want another one. Again, they did not. You know, there's a hundred examples, slight exaggeration. There's mm-hmm. many examples of Hollywood mistaking momentary interest in China for, you know, full on financial success and interest in another chapter. Right. So again, could, China is perfectly capable of sampling something and saying. So could Secrets of Grindelwald end up being a Dark Phoenix situation? I yes. mean, I, yeah, it's yeah. very possible. It's very, very possible. Having said that, mm-hmm. the online stuff about J.K. Rowling's arguably transphobic commentary and arguably mm-hmm. transphobic opinions, mm-hmm. and I'm saying arguably because I don't want to be sued, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, if the shoe fits. Right, um, right. But you can't sue him for that, everyone. So lawyers put the briefcases away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's you know, it's, it's I want to be very clear that my opinion is that she should you know, she needs to shut the hell up and find another cause. And, and, and yeah, lawyers, just take a break, kick back and listen to a podcast. You don't always have to be on on the clock. You know, that's what I say to the lawyers. Chill out. That being said, again, that that, that controversy has not affected the popularity of the Harry Potter films themselves. They still rented like hotcakes on every VOD site during the pandemic. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. still get strong viewership on HBO Max or Peacock or wherever they happen to be at any given time. Right. Uh, right. When you go to Universal Studios in Hollywood, it's still pretty damn crowded at the you know Wizarding World of whatever you know sub part of that. Right. You know, so the franchise, the brand is still popular, and you can see Warner Brothers slowly trying to disassociate the movies from the books. Right. Although the books are still selling like hotcakes. We're not the books boys, but but the, the brand is strong, but Eddie Redmayne is not strong. And just because Grin- people like fan- uh, Harry Potter does not mean they give a poop about Fantastic Beasts. That's the exact point. And I think that is huge because I think we're looking at Harry Potter now in the same boat as something like Star Wars, where you're realizing what they want is those original characters. That's what they want. They don't want these new Fantastic Beast characters. They, you know, you're getting Dumbledore as a younger person. I mean, that didn't work with Han Solo. So it's, it's, I do feel like there's a level of these movies are not Harry Potter in the way that the fans want Harry Potter. And I see a very, very, very low domestic total for this yes. movie. The question is whether or not you know, overseas audiences don't care about all this nonsense. Because to be fair, in a vacuum, six a drop from eight fourteen on a one eighty budget to six fifty nine on a two hundred budget is normal. To be frank, mm-hmm. right, and if it right. holds the fort at like six hundred for the next three chapters, that's a win. And that's right, fine. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess the question will be if this movie comes out and does, you know. 
81 million domestic, yeah, and 350 international, then then it's over. Then this is a streaming series at best. Yes. You know, my advice getting- was always, and I don't know whether they follow my advice, they usually don't. Mm-hmm, they just mm-hmm. tell me I'm smart after I trash them after the movie comes out. Right. <laughs> and if right. studios are listening, my dream job would be to be paid to tell you the stuff before you make the spend the money. Yes. yes. Pay them ahead of time. Yes. Don't steal. You know, how much would it be worth for you to pay me so that you didn't spend $200 million doing another Dark Phoenix movie? Right. Exactly. Right. Probably more than I'm. Well, anyway. Um, that being said, my advice was always okay. The last movie was so plot heavy, so mythology driven, so world building. The exact opposite of why people like the Harry Potter films, by the way, which didn't get mythology heavy until the fourth book slash fourth movie, um, at which point you already knew and liked these characters. And again, you know, like Lost, Lost didn't get mythology heavy until the end of the second season. Mm-hmm. X-Files didn't get mythology heavy until the end of the second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, uh, what's it called? Fringe. Came out of the gate mythology heavy and almost lost the plot, then pulled back and had most of the first season as standalone mystery of the week, character driven stories, and then got into the big picture once we like these people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even 24, which I, I wouldn't argue that shows mythology per se, but you know, the stakes didn't go crazy until the second season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, but on the Fantastic Beasts, they just are all mythology. Yeah, you know, and that's that. And my advice would be to do a third movie that's almost a standalone, where you just spend time with the characters. Right, right, right. And then hang out with one beast, one beast, and really get to know him, and and give the beast a romance. Um, I don't know, but but something. I will say that the 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 last trailer for the third film plays very well on an IMAX screen, and I think Mm -hmm. it looks fun. Mm-hmm. Am I am I right? Am I being lied to? Probably, because mm-hmm. honestly, I thought the trailers of the second film. See, I wasn't big on the first one, but I was in the minority, and that's fine. Right. But I thought the second one looked like a course correction. Right. I was I was very wrong. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think this one looks charming. Having said that, mm-hmm. I think Terminator Dark Fate is by default the best Terminator sequel since Terminator Three. But after two crappy sequels, it didn't matter because you know you had no more goodwill left. Right. I think Dark Phoenix is by default a better X-Men movie than X-Men Apocalypse. Mm-hmm, but after mm-hmm. Apocalypse was so awful, you had no goodwill left. Right. It's yes. possible the Fantastic Beast 3 will be better than the second one. But that doesn't matter if people have already said Tomb Raider trap. I mean, if you haven't had that copyrighted yet, you know, the second we we hang up on this on this uh podcast, you, you gotta get the Tomb Raider trap phrase. Uh, now now lawyers, now you can perk up because now you got something to do, which is help yes. copyright that phrase for Scott yeah. Mendelson. Yeah. So so uh, Fortunately uh, I have a paper trail of using that for like twenty years. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um print so all Clay- that out and just slap <laughs> it on the t- on someone's desk and be like, yes. do this for me. So Clayton, before before we start to wrap up, are there any look aheads that you want to bring up for us to discuss? I think we kind of hit everything. I mean, I think the 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 future is looking bright. I think there's a few things I want Lost City to do well. I think if Sonic does well, that's uh, Morbius is such a question mark for me. I can't see that movie doing spectacularly, even with that residual buzz from Spider Man. And Venom, which I think tonally, it seems like it would be more like Venom, but Venom is just so much funner in its darkness. This does seem so morose. 
And, you know, having seen the Batman this weekend, there was actually a few jokes in that that I thought hit. And there's a joke in the Morbius trailer that basically is Morbius saying, I'm Venom, psych. And that kind of worries me because if that's, if you're saying in your trailer, oh, I'm not this guy you love, I'm this other thing, that's not great. So I'm kind of low. Uh, you can never count out Leto, though, obviously, but that's, I'm a little worried about Morbius. Uh, I, I, and I don't know whether this me saying this or somebody suggested it to me, but I like it. And if it wasn't me, feel free to buzz me on Twitter and take credit for it. But someone, it was someone about the idea that he saw what Tom Hardy was able to do in Venom and said, I want to do that too. And that's why he's as lunatic in House of Gucci as he is. Huh. Oh, that's not a bad theory. Um, so that's that's his venom in yeah, House of Gucci. That's why he's paying like you know drunk uh, Waligi or what whatever that Mario's nemesis. Mario, um, yeah. Oh, that's it. Mario, I love that theory. Um, and honestly, I mean, I think Ven- Morbius looks like the kind of movie we all thought Venom was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it will probably do, for better or worse, the kind of numbers we thought you know Venom was going to do. Mm-hmm. And that was one where we, you know, frankly, I was dead wrong. You know, I'll admit it. I, I missed the boat on that one. I kept, I looked at that movie, kept thinking Catwoman, 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 when right. the better comparison was the mask. Do you think that the Morbius uh, pushing back of a date, you know, those couple of months, it was, supposed to, it was supposed to come out in January and they moved it to April. Do you think that that had anything to do with them adding some Venom, Spider-Man, anything like that. I mean, that's been the big conspiracy theory. You know, we've helped spread it. I'm not going to say we haven't. No, I mean, it's maybe. And that 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 we won't know until we know. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's one of those things that drives me nuts about certain internet articles, even from, you know, g- you know, with no malicious intent. Like, you know, could this movie be pushed back or sent to VOD? It was like, it's a coin toss. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know until... They make a choice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but that, I think they moved it back because it was a better date for Morbius. I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest. April 1st is a better date for a big movie than January 29th. Right. True. I think they knew they wanted to give Spider-Man more breathing room. I think they recognized the potential for Uncharted to get a boost by being the proverbial man in the Iron Mask of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. For those who don't know, as a stupid arcane reference during Titanic's initial 15 week run at the top of the box office. The one movie that got closest to dethroning Titanic before lost in space was Leonardo DiCaprio's the man in the iron mask, Mm -hmm. which is a film that probably would have made 10 cents domestically. If not for Leonardo DiCaprio's post Titanic heat. Oh, there's been a lot of man in the iron mask talk on the show the last month. So yeah, we're, yeah, that's why we're we're kindred spirits. Yes. Mm -hmm. Not alone. Um, what was the other example for that I was for our charted and anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I, 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 and because they made the choice to push it back, could they then say, well, we've got an extra three months. You want to shoot a cameo? Okay. Right. right. Hey, you want to shoot? Okay. Yeah. Fine. Whatever. Are you yeah. vaxxed? Yeah. Okay. Come on down. We'll shoot a cameo. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't, whether or not that was the defining reason they did that, I wouldn't be shocked if they used the extra time to, you know, fits around because why not what's the harm you got i I was just gonna say it might be an actual cameo they just paid for tom hardy to do a cameo as venom or eddie brock and just put it in the movie 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a possibility as well. Uh, and I do love that, you know, I, the two Men and Venom movies are okay at best. Uh, and I'm not expecting Morbius to be a good movie. But I do appreciate the fact that they have a certain sensibility where it's almost nostalgia from a time when you expected comic book superhero movies to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was okay mm-hmm. because they weren't the only thing that mattered in pop culture discourse. Mm-hmm. Right. It's okay that if they're spawn. Yeah, exactly. The, right. Yeah. Or, or barbed wire. Yeah, I get spawn and barbed wire vibes from these Sony villain movies. And, you know, th- when they play, they play, I guess. And Venom played, but I just don't think Morbius will play. But again, like you said, we were wrong. I was wrong about Venom number one. And so Morbius, I hope it surprises all of us. And I do think it's hilarious on Sony's part. And I give them huge props. They're basically trolling the entire internet over, oh, Venom's in the MCU now. And then at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home, never mind, Venom's not in the MCU. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. All your think pieces were irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, these 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 stingers at the end of the Sony superhero movies are, are almost their own universe. Yeah, and I, I find it delightful. Because yeah. honestly, it's just it's more it's a more honest version of the MCU stingers. Because if we're honest, most of the MCU end credit stingers don't really play a role in the next movie or the overall arc. Mm-hmm. And other that's than fine. If, they're not. Yeah, other than Spider-Man, ironically. Right. Or if they're just a scene from the yes. next movie that you have to watch again. And yeah, yeah, really yeah. A Stinger. It's just like a daily. Like I, I was telling people after Ant-Man, I was like, leave after the first one. It's just a giant spoiler for Civil War. You can wait, you know, a year and just watch the damn movie. Right. Right. So, uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Where could people find you? Where could they read your writing? And uh, what could they look forward to this week from you? There's nothing this week because Disney is a traitor and put turning red on uh, Disney Plus. Uh, No, I mean, I'll I'll do some daily updates for the Batman. Um, I am going to review turning red eventually. I'm aiming for tomorrow, but we'll see. Um, I do. I know I I do want to do a bit on, you know, Uncharted and a lot of the stuff that we talked about right now, frankly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so sorry mm-hmm. for the reruns. Um, yeah, I'm at Forbes, Forbes.com. Google the ticket booth, Scott Mendelson, Forbes. Uh, I am on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook too. But that's mostly just for, you know, family photos and stuff. You right, know, I'm, right. if you want to, you know, if you want to yell at me, stick to Twitter. Right, right. And if you're a cousin of Scott Mendelson, go to Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. And I got to say this summer, I'm excited because even you you look just at April and you've got whatever Morbius is going to be and you got Sonic and you've got Lost City will still be out and then we're going into Maverick in May. I mean, it does feel, you know, we don't know. We don't want to, you know, knock we've, on wood. We've been here before. But but last year did feel like a clearance sale. It's like you yeah. said, you look at that summer slate and there were a lot of sacrifices to the box yes. office gods last summer. It wasn't just the pandemic. It no, was it's, it's they the made product. a constant you know, when you switch top gun for snake eyes, you're making a conscientious choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, except for horror films, as not to toot my own horn, but I was saying this in April 2020 when it, we all thought that things would get back to normal in August, where you know the, the between Tenet and Wonder Woman was gonna have this huge slate of horror films. Right, right. Um my my concern is a we've been here before. I thought you know we're all back after October, mm-hmm. but obviously that didn't happen because everything except Spider Man and Sing bombed in December, and then Jan- January and February offered almost nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, May is weirdly empty. You've got Doctor Strange on one end and you've got Top Gun on the other, but not much in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, all due respect to Downtown Abbey. Um, Although that first one June was is, hit. It was, yes. Um, it is. Um, we got a Jurassic World movie. June will be crowded. Mm-hmm. July will be crowded. But then August is barren as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so unless I'm hoping that something moves into August mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I, because I cannot possibly imagine Aquaman and Avatar opening on the same damn day in December, something's 2022, I have to assume something's going to give. And I'm, I'm curious as to what's going to give uh, yeah, the I idealistic scenario. What? I would think Aquaman, right? Yeah. I mean, you think they move that into summer 2023, mm-hmm. but what could happen, and this is total speculation. Mm-hmm. If Black Panther Wakanda Forever continues to have issues, it you know they can delay that to summer 2023, where mm-hmm. we will still make a gajillion dollars, mm-hmm. and then they'll just push every other Marvel movie one down you know the conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. Then you move Flash to Christmas because Flash and Avatar are not the exact same movie. Well, right. well, there's a good chance that Avatar two and Aquaman two are going to be the same, the exact same movie. Mm-hmm, you know, they're mm-hmm. both underwater sequels directed by a guy named James about a stranger in a strange land who becomes a reluctant ruler of a people he barely knows. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah that's- but then, so you move, and then you move Aquaman to pre-Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, that makes the most sense. I mean, it would be, you know, as big as Aquaman was, and he's a DC superhero, I mean, show some respect to James Cameron, the, the king of the world, the king of the box office. The Aquaman must move. Hashtag move Aquaman. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I, I adore them both. They're my two most anticipated movies of the year. And they're mm-hmm. both opening up the same damn day. Yeah, give us one over Thanksgiving. And, <laughs> and the main thing is, they'll both be only in movie theaters. And we finally got a year where... We've got a ton of movies, big movies that will only be in movie theaters. So yes. I, I think things are looking up at the box office. My concern is that we're we're still heading toward the darkest timeline that I was was always rambling about in 2016, 2017, which mm-hmm. is that the only things that are theatrically viable are the biggest, loudest, most spectacular, franchisey, immersive, you can't get this at home type experiences mm-hmm. with the and now with COVID and the emphasis on streaming, I think it's even worse because now we're in a situation where, gosh, I hope the new animated movie goes to theaters instead of streaming. Gosh, I hope Morbius goes to theaters instead of streaming. So, right. yeah, now everything's an underdog. Even yeah. the stuff that would have been incredibly cynical and incredibly exploitative and an example of, you know, if this hits well, it might not be great for the industry overall. You know, again, you know, and I mean this with as much respect as possible, but I don't like being in a position where I have to root for Space Jam 2. Exactly. I mean, listen, last year we were here uh, basically in tears, uh, happy about the box office of Free Guy. And Free Guy is a movie that features Star Wars cameos. Only for like 10 seconds. I I, I, agree. I I, I, I rewatched that the other night. And I I think it's a very good film. Um, we I wish I liked it. Yeah. And my, all my kids, I think it's a very good film. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of movies there. And mm-hmm. I think it's a very inspirational success story. One mm-hmm. that I think overperformed versus how it would have done in non COVID times, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if having a 10 second Star Wars cameo, you know, gets the movie trending on social media, that's a price I'm willing to pay. Right. Um, but that is the position we're in. And that's why, once again, 
the lost city is going to be one <laughs> of the most bullet train and bullet. Those are, those very, are the two in my mind. Movies. They're like these, if these hit, then I have hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, All nope. Right. I assume will be a smash regardless. Cause you know, Jordan Peele's, you know, the next whatever Shyamalan Spielberg, whatever you want to call it. Well, if he's Shyamalan, this is his sign. So this yeah, exactly. Is his biggest movie ever, which I, I find fascinating. If his third breakout is also an alien invasion film. Yeah. Um, I think I nothing with him I is mean, an accident. Uh, yeah. And it, it's as much as it's possible that the trailer is misdirecting. I have to think that like, you're trying to sell an original horror movie to general audiences. You're mm-hmm. not trying to twit, twit, trick Twitter. I have right. to assume there has to be some honesty in the marketing. Right. But whatever. Right. So thank you so much for joining us, Scott. So all our listeners want to be old boys, want to be old girls, want to be old people. You could email us at the BO boys podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. I mean, basically just send us praise for how great this episode was. And, uh, yeah, so so just send us that there at the Bo Boys uh, podcast at gmail dot com and Clayton. Oh, and also of course the wanna be a roommate contest is still going on. Clayton is is uh, is scouring applicants for a new roommate in a borough in New York City that is not Staten Island. So so you could enter that at the Bo Boys podcast at gmail dot com. And I think that's it. Clayton. Well, it sounds like the start of a really boring Netflix thriller. Yeah. It it's uh, that's the hope. That's the hope. So um, I don't think there's anything left to say, Pat. No. Except in- for until next time. We'll, we'll smell you at the box, box office. office. Nailed, Nailed it. it. I, I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs>